for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quart, and we're back at it again with another amazing podcast. Don't worry. Don't adjust your dials, whatever, however you're consuming us. It is Tuesday morning. I am intending to be on here. It is not Sunday morning, so have no fear. Um, we have a very special guest. We have Kezia Gill joining us today. Uh, we'll be sitting chatting about the... Uh, British Country Music Festival and her music, and she just got done playing a pre uh, festival this past weekend. So she's very busy, and uh, I'm excited to sit down and chat with her and get to know more about her. Um, but before we get there, I just wanted to take a second to uh, thank everybody for joining us and uh, tuning in and all the continued support we've had over the last several years of the podcast, and especially the last six months or so with the transfer from Facebook to Twitch as part of our live streaming platform and so all of y'all that have been sitting here supporting us we really appreciate it but that being said let's jump right into the uh conversation with kezia gill kezia how are you doing today i'm doing really good how are you doing <laughs> oh i'm doing great you know it's it was it's weird because when usually i try and do a lot of my uk interviews over the weekend so like i don't have to feel like they're rushed or whatever before i go into the office but today when you or when we started talking is that last week i think we like officially set this up um i was like you know what there's no reason why i can't do a morning podcast during the week like i don't have to be at the office till 9 30 it's gives us an hour like we have plenty of time so (laughs) it was it's just it's a nice change of pace it makes me actually get up and do something instead of sitting around for two hours before i go to the office so o'clock here so like i've had plenty of plenty of warm-up time yeah for sure for sure um so uh, like i said really excited to have you here uh just kind of when i was trying to figure out who i wanted to reach out to on the podcast like there's a few names on here that are that were on the bill for this weekend that we've had on the podcast and so it's like i could reach out to them but most of my audience has heard them a couple of times already over the last six years so let me reach out to somebody new and honestly, I picked your name because it's, I didn't know how to pronounce your name. So it was just like, you know what? Let me go check that out. And I saw the uh, Cotton Eye Joe uh, cover. Like, yeah, it is it is a cover. Let's uh, Just because it's so remixed. I saw the Cotton Eye Joe cover and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I started doing some more digging. And I was like, yeah, I definitely need to reach out to her. Um, <laughs> so for anybody that's just kind of getting to meet you for the first time or getting introduced to you what's kind of your story tell everybody a little bit about yourself yeah sure so i'm a singer songwriter um and i i write in all kinds of different styles but i do i love country i love americana um i love the slightly dirtier side so like kind of the blues and roots um and i've been writing songs as, as long as i can remember really since i was kind of at school um they weren't very good but i was writing them <laughs> And um, I was from kind of a big Irish family, um, so there was lots of music around me. And my my late dad, um, he was a singer as well. So I just I kind of grew up watching him and 
there was never any doubt that that's what I wanted to do. There was, there was kind of never any question. And I just sort of like bumbled my way through, through my uh, teens and twenties, trying to figure out what kind of artist I wanted to be. Uh, I'm still very much trying to figure it out. But I think one thing I did learn is that, you know, there's only two types of music and that's good and bad. So yeah. I tried to not box myself in with a genre or a particular sound and just try and do whatever I feel like doing that day. And if people like it, then, good stuff <laughs> yeah for sure for sure and so right now you're based out of england you said in uh derby right that's right yeah which uh, is like right in the middle of the country yeah um are you originally born raised in derby or i know you just mentioned that your dad is irish right yeah so my, my granddad was irish um okay. He, he moved over to the UK, uh, met my grandma, went on to have a, a big old mixed family. Um, but a, a lot of my early kind of musical influences were, were Irish traditional music. Uh, we used to go along to sort of like what they call traditional jam sessions and player sessions. And that's where I really learned to play guitar, learned to play piano, um, learned the kind of method of music, if you will. I actually don't read a note of music. I play everything by ear and by memory. And it was those early experiences that sort of taught me how to do that. Um, and it's, it's yeah, it's even though I'm kind of born and raised in England, I do have very strong ties to my Irish heritage, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things where I think a lot of musicians – you know, should take inspiration from their heritage as far as like musical, especially in the UK. If you're from Ireland, they, there's a lot of really good Irish music that I've heard, you know, um, just mu like musicians, oddly enough, musicians that I've met in Australia that left Ireland and went to Australia. Like, I don't know. It's I just point being just kind of taking more influence from their heritage. That's really yeah. cool. It's, um, it's very, I think any heritage is, is deep rooted, you know? Hmm. Um, and for me, like, because music is the, 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 the main thing that I do with my life, I'm, hmm. I'm very aware of where that, that line of heritage comes from in that, um, you know, my dad always used to have this, this saying that, you know, it's a gift and you, what, what you decide to do with it is up to you. So, hmm. you know, it's, it's lovely to know where that kind of comes from. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, do you, so. At what point did you start, uh, or not? At what point? So, what instrument did you start playing, or like when you first started getting into music? Where did you kind of start? Were you piano, guitar? So the the very first instrument that I had was a small like Casio keyboard, uh, mm. purely because I wasn't big enough to hold a guitar. Um, and yeah. I used to kind of play the strings and I used to have a little tune that I could play an open tune in but I wasn't physically big enough to hold it or get my arms around it so mm. um yeah I had a little keyboard um and like I said I I remember my music teacher at school briefly trying to teach me notation and how to read music and um she very quickly gave up on that <laughs> I was not interested I just I wanted to listen to songs and listen to the notes and mm. and and learn to play by memory and and you know I remember have, I had that little Casio keyboard for years I loved it mm. um and then as I got slightly bigger um I think I was about eight or nine when I started playing around with mm. the guitar uh, again, my, my dad was a great player um, and I sort of watched him and, and watched how to, do, he showed me sort of how to do chords and, and then he kind of 
said, off you go, off to your bedroom, you know, the, the rest is all practice. Mm. And it's the best, you know, people often say, oh, your dad must have taught you. And I say, no, he taught me absolutely nothing. He, he showed me what to where to put my fingers. And then the rest was, was hours and hours worth of hard work in my bedroom. <laughs> yeah. um, and I always give that advice too when, when people say, you know, uh, you know, about how to learn the guitar. It's one of them instruments, you just got to practice it. Like, like all musical instruments, I suppose. You just got to practice. And I, I, spe- I spend years... Um, you know, practicing rhythm and, and practicing how to change change from chords. And then that took me into sort of my my secondary school years when I was sort of 11 onwards. And that's when I really started writing. I got to take music as a as an option mm. um, at school. And it was, a you know, I had a great music teacher that encouraged me to write my own music. And I think that one of the first songs I ever wrote was, was for a school project. I had to write about something and and yeah that was my first song probably about 13 years old um and i've never looked back i've been writing my music ever since nice do you still break out that first song every once in a while and play it or is it been <laughs> no, I long do. and the mad thing is of all the really really bad songs that i've written in my life the first mm. one is actually pretty good <laughs> so, hey. so yeah i do I, I still sing it now and again yeah well it, it's one of those things where uh, you know, I've, a lot of musicians say that first song is just so horrific. But upon occasion, you get a musician that say that they still play it because it's still pretty good. And it's like, I, I get that thought of people thinking it's horrendous. But sometimes you just put the most effort in that first song because you want it to be good. And like, if you're truly talented, like if you're truly gifted and talented, you know, it'll pop up and it'll stick around and um so for that first did you ever end up recording that first song or is it just kind of something you'll break out every once in a while live no i did and and the reason being i mean i've written kind of little verses and choruses and i'd I'd have played around with with words sort of prior to this song but the first proper song that i wrote um it, it was called tomorrow they may not be there and it was the idea that you know you need to love people and you need to appreciate them because tomorrow's never promised which is quite a deep and resounding concept for a 14 year old but anyway i wrote this song um and then um about a year later there was a competition in in the city where i live um looking for young like young stars like a star of tomorrow sort of thing mm. and i entered and i sang that song uh, and i went on to win that competition and the prize was um studio time which at the time was something that i i wouldn't have been able to afford or had the sort of you know option option to do so i got to go into the studio and, and record um and we got to do a little music video which i cringe when i watch now but it's lovely to see the 16 year old me kind of like living her best life but i do still have the the original audio recording of, of that young that young voice um so that that's quite precious to me actually to have that yeah for sure and just kind of keep it close to you because you even like just kind of having it for a personal keepsake, you know, not saying that you have to like release it and whatnot, but just kind of having it for yourself to keep like keep yourself almost grounded to a certain point where it's like, okay, this is where I start. You know where you started because yeah. you have evidence and then just kind of moving on from there. Um, yeah. So during this time when you're kind of going through the early stages of your music musical journey of like discovering who you want to be as an artist were you still very much listening to some of the irish 
influences that you had or what kind of music were you listening to just for like inspiration? So I had, because my dad was musical, um, mm. I had like a really like wealthy musical upbringing. Um, mm. And there was always, um, there was always music in the house. He was always singing and it was everything from sort of great songwriters like Bob Dylan and Chris Christopherson mm. um, to great singers like Roy Orbison and Patsy Cline, Dolly Parton, um, and also like, great performers like Freddie Mercury and Tina Turner. So I think all of these aspects were like, they all influenced me, which is why I feel like my sound is so mixed up. <laughs> and I suppose not mixed up. I mean, the Irish traditional music was certainly what, what got me into playing and got, got me learning the guitar and learn, learning about the, the theory of music, the rhythm mm -hmm. and how to make a guitar work for you, you know. But um, when I started writing, it was very much like it was Bob Dylan I'd be listening to and Dolly Parton. And a lot of those early influ early influences were country um, and and some folk. And that's where I really kind of learned how to craft songs mm -hmm. and learn that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just about writing a lot of words. It was about writing a story and it had to have a, a formula and it had to, you know, it had to have a great hook and it had to be memorable and and things like that. And as and sort of into my twenties, I would start performing and I would, you know, recall watching sort of old Tina Turner videos and Freddie Mercury and I'd, I'd try and work a stage and you you always take influence from people that have inspired you. So. I was kind of this like country singing, rock and rolling. <laughs> it was it was all a bit of a mix up. And then like people always ask me now, like, oh, what kind of music do you play? And I go, well, everything because yeah. I listen to everything and I love everything. And you know, why can't you be Tina Turner one minute and Bob Dylan the next? It's like it's all music at the end of the day. And yeah, and I'm still kind of figuring that out. Like it's it's my least favorite question when people ask me what kind of music I play because I never know. <laughs> Have to yeah. answer. <laughs> well, and in this day in music, it's that like, yes, in mainstream music, there's still very much an emphasis on, okay, you play rock music or you play metal music or country, you know, like whatever it is, just because that's how the industry was built, you know, and like you go to the, you watch these award shows, like this past weekend was the VMAs, MTV's VMAs, and it's like, you know, they have to have those categories, best rap album, you know, like whatever it is. And nowadays you're starting to see this like resurgence or this revolution or evolution in music, however you want to kind of describe it, where musicians, yes, they can put themselves in a box if they need to for Spotify streaming reasons or, you know, whatever it is. But when they when they're asked what kind of music do they play it's oh i just i i'm kezia i play the music yeah. i play my music because it's not clearly defined where it's like oh country no there's a little bit of blues you know just like all these and different influences it's avoiding like the really long-winded answer of well it's a yeah. bit blue got a bit of rock and there's also yeah. a bit of storytelling so it's a bit folky and because if i had a penny for every time i'd be like oh i'm, I'm playing um at a country festival for example mm -hmm. and someone would say oh i don't really like country music and i'm like yeah but i'm not just singing country music i'm singing my music 
Pass Country yeah. Festival. Yeah. Or then it might be a, like maybe a rock and bike festival, so it's a bit more bluesy, a bit grittier. And and then the country people will say, oh, we don't really like rock music. But yeah. I'm singing the exactly the exact same set, the exact same songs at that rock festival as mm-hmm. I would the country or the folk festival, yeah. you know, or just a music festival. So I think one of the best things I did was about three or four years ago, I kind of rebranded online and mm-hmm. as a singer-songwriter um, because then it allows me to, to A, write whatever I want and, and to, I don't have to categorise it. It's just a song that I have written and I am singing. <laughs> so yeah. it made life a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, doing like the solo stuff, you can kind of always default to the singer songwriter because that's not, that's just kind of what you are, not necessarily a genre of music. Yeah. But, um, you know, which that's, that's cool. Like, that's definitely cool that you can kind of fall back into a singer songwriter realm but I also think that a lot of people won't take that as an answer. It's like, no, like, but you know, that's because it's my only answer. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so kind of fast forwarding a little bit through, uh, your musical journey. Uh, at what point did you kind of start, uh, recording and releasing music? Obviously during school, you were doing a lot of writing and stuff like that. But at what point did you kind yeah. of start? Rec- so I didn't really stop properly recording until my late 20s um i spent an awful lot of time working abroad um yeah. in spain specifically a place called lanzarote which is in the canary islands um and that all came about from just just a holiday where i ended up getting up and singing and the 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 bar asked me if i'd want to come back and do some shows and i ended up spending about seven years there cool. um Stayed there till I was about 26. And I call that kind of period of time like the apprenticeship. That's when mm-hmm. I really honed the craft. That's when I learned about sort of playing to an audience. I mean, I think at one at one point I was doing nine shows a week. We were doing six evenings and three afternoons. Mm-hmm. So it was where I really learned about, you know, the the stamina, the how to look after your voice, how to get your repertoire together, how to keep people entertained, because especially somewhere like a, a holiday resort where there's a bunch of other things going on, you'd have to, mm. you know, make sure that people are going to come and see you and they're going to come and check you out the next night. And so I learned so much during those sort of early 20s, um, kept writing the whole time. And then I kind of hit, you know, I think it was like 2013, 2014. And I was like, I'm really going to give this original artist mm. thing a go. You know, I was making good money as a cover artist, but I knew something wasn't sitting right. And I was like, if I don't try and do this, I'd rather be a broke original artist mm. than a really rich cover artist. Yeah. So I kind of threw all my money into kind of moving back and got, got my own place um, and started recording my own music. Um, and my first album was, you know, if you, if you look at it on paper, it flopped completely because I had no audience, I had no following, but I was learning all the time. I was learning about the production of music, things like mixing and mastering. Uh, downloading was just starting to become a thing. Mm. Um, and, you know, my first official album that I released sort of with any kind of radio play was back in 2018. Um, and I've gone on to do consecutive EPs since then. Um, and as the audience grows, the kind of success of my original music grows. And I'm I'm in a great position now, um, you know, almost eight years on, from from deciding I was going to do it to where mm. I can actually 
make a living as a original artist. But it, it took me, it was a long, cold winter. It took yeah. me a long time to get here. <laughs> I feel that. It, you know, you, you brought up something interesting about the almost internal struggle that you had of, do I want to be a successful cover artist and make this money that I'm making? Or do I want to be more creatively satisfied and just, you know, um, make my own music, whether it goes anywhere or not, at least I could say I tried. And I think a lot of musicians, especially maybe not so much bands, but just a lot of musicians, like individual musicians have that internal conflict. And I think that's kind of interesting because you're the first person to actually like bring it out and say something that like you actually went through this struggle of like, okay, I'm making livable money doing cover songs and being a cover artist, but I'm not really creatively satisfied. Because like when I bring people on the podcast, they don't talk about that. They'll talk about it to me when we're off air and all this stuff about, oh yeah, I could have booked 20 shows this month as a cover artist playing at the local gig, making 500 bucks a gig, you know, yeah. whatever it is. And it's like, that that's the stuff I want to talk about. Why didn't you, like when I asked you the, yeah. like a specific question, why did you bring it? Eh, well, you know. I mean, I, I think I think something I'm quite well known for is just keeping it real. Mm -hmm. um, I don't I, I don't ever dress dress things up, um, and it's true. It's like you, you know you can make a really really good living mm -hmm. singing at weddings and functions and in bars, and, and you know I have massive respect for anyone that does that because do you know what it's it's hard work. Yeah. It's a lot of time spent on the road. It's a lot of like kind of soul destroying gigs where you're yeah. singing in restaurants or you're singing where people are just wanting to get get dr drunk and, yeah. and they really care who you are yeah. and i've done many of many of those gigs um but it was it was kind of like that little girl inside me and it was like come on like be the little girl with the casio keyboard that had a dream yeah. you know, be her for a while yeah. and and for a long time i was it was hard to, to turn down the, the money gigs um because the truth is as well when you are an unknown original artist you know the only currency that people know is exposure mm -hmm. and that's quite often all you'll ever be offered until you get to a point where you can say look you're going to have to cover my expenses or you're going to have to pay me some of the ticket split or mm -hmm. the door split you know and and that all comes with time but most of the time it's you're just playing for exposure so you'll play for free and you'll pay to play Mm -hmm. You know, whether that means you have to get a train or you have to drive yourself and put fuel in your car, cover your food and cover your band if they're coming with you. And, you know, I've done all that. But I think the thing that the thing that really helped me make the decision was that I can always go back to being a cover artist. Mm -hmm. That door will always be open. I can always pick up the phone, talk to my agent and say, get me some bookings. Mm -hmm. That will always be an option. The option to be an original artist right here, right now, is only going to be here today. So I have, I had to go with that um, because I'm, I'm all about um, regretting doing something than not the, the regretting not doing it. So you know, it, it paid off. It took a long time. There was a lot of, 
a lot of tears and a lot of yeah. struggle. And there was a lot of times when I very nearly thought, this is not worth it. No, nobody, nobody cares about my songs. Nobody wants to hear Spotify and Apple are just going to swallow you whole. Nobody cares. Mm. And then suddenly you'll get a message from someone that was like, heard your song on YouTube. You know, I just lost my dad too. I can relate to what you were talking to. Or we just got married and had your song as our first dance. And that's when you go, that's why I do it. That's why I keep keep on going. So it's not easy, but God, when it when it starts to happen, it's it's all the more rewarding. Yeah, for sure. That's it. You know, you uh, go through this whole process of like almost doubting yourself if you have what it takes and then you get that one message like you'll go weeks months maybe years without getting any like any kind of feedback and you're just like doubting yourself and you get that one message and it's like okay i'm good let's keep going like and that's it is literally as simple as that um and you you can be so close to giving up you can be like i have nothing left to to give um and then one phone call or one book in, one email, but we'll change everything. Yeah. So you you have to just wait for that phone to ring. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's actually kind of funny. I had this just happened to me two days ago. Like I was kind like I was kind of hitting a low point with the podcast. I was just like, I, we're gaining traction, but it's like we've kind of hit a plateau this month. And I don't know if I've got like, I don't know how much more I could put into this without, you know, without completely overdoing or overexerting myself and like just kind of questioning everything I've been doing. And then I got a message from another podcast that's based out of LA. They're like, hey, man, just wanted to shoot you a message and let you know I really enjoy listening to your perspective on things keep doing what you're doing and i'm like all right cool that's what i needed so that's all it takes yeah yeah so you know it's like it obviously i'm not a musician so it but like kind of similar paths there um so you were talking when you were talking about the uh your first album that you recorded that was the self-titled album kezia yeah so that was the first official album yeah I had bought out an album previous to that, but it was it was more just like I just moved back from Spain. Mm. I didn't have much budget, and I just had a bunch of songs that I just wanted to get out. Um, and it was it was more just an album that I like sold it sold it shows, and it was like you mm. know kind of I chucked a few in the back of my car if I had a show. But my yeah my first, my my kind of debut album was was the self titled Kezia, and um, okay. that was the first one that I'd put out you know f- for streaming and for for download and things like that. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, it feels like a, it feels like an age ago, but that was back in 2018. So yeah, five years cool. ago now. Yeah, it's it's wild how fast time has gone. Like to yeah, like even during the pandemic, it feels like the pandemic was forever ago, and it's like still technically like a possible threat out there. Yeah, like when we were in lockdown and whatnot. So, For sure. um, so kind of uh re or launching off the uh debut album what were some of the things that you kind of took away from the experience obviously that wasn't technically yes it was your debut album but but really it wasn't but what were some of the things that you kind of took away from the experience of writing recording releasing promoting that you kind of moved forward with the rest of your music so i'd I'd learned kind of about 
I mean, when I'd originally started writing, I was never ever writing for anyone else and anyone other than me. Um, and I kind of learned that actually a song needs to transpose to everyone. So mm-hmm. I think my writing probably got less less personal in terms of everything was I and you know how I'm feeling and it was more mm. about is this this is a feeling that I've experienced and then other people could be like do you know what I know what she means when she's talking about that so it'd be less specific mm. probably um and I also learned about kind of like the golden rules of like radio and keeping things a certain length of time. So kind of like the four and a half, five minute tracks were not going to work. Um, you know, the really long intros, the long instrumentals, all the things that I loved from an overindulgent perspective. But I started to just learn about the craft of, of mm. producing music for, for an internet world. Um and also just, uh, I, I was just always finding my sound and finding what worked. And very quickly, people used to say to me, you know, oh, we know we know when it's a Kezi song. And I, I kind of learned that I adapted a style, which yeah. was lovely because you don't sort of set out one day and say, right, I'm going to have a style. But over time, you, you, you just have your own sort of style. And people have come to know that and come to follow it. So I was obviously more more conscious of making sure that I stayed true to my own sound and, and my own production. Like, and ne- I've never been a fan of massively overproduced music. I know it's, it's there and it has a place. And, you know, when I'm in the club at two o'clock in the morning, that's what I want to be dancing to. But when it comes to festivals, I think if you can't recreate the sound on the CD, yeah. then you should probably, you know, you should stay yeah. away from That's my opinion anyway. I'm, I'm a bit yeah. old school. You know, I, 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 I'm of the same opinion. If you can't recreate it live, then it probably doesn't need to be on the album. Yeah. I just think like that there's always room for like a dog barking at some point or a whistle going off. But I just think, yeah, if, if I, I love the kind of the, the, the basics of music. I love mm-hmm. a great beat. I love a great bass line. Throw a couple of guitars in the mix and just let your voice do the talking. I, I'm all about that. So, you know, especially moving forward to future projects, um, I always start with that kind of core recipe, and then you just sprinkle a little bit of what, a bit of flavor, whatever it needs. Yeah. But yeah, I like when people come and see me at a show. I, I like them to like recognize the guitar riff straight away, recognize the drum hook straight away, and mm. and and for the for the song not to distract from what it's about. Say that's what I that's what I try I try and stick to that for sure. Uh, so kind of uh, moving through after you release the album, you released an EP and a few more singles, and then coming up to the pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic kind of threw a wrench into everybody's plans as far as like releasing music and stuff. But it didn't just kind of from what I've seen on Spotify, and it didn't seem to slow you down too much going into the pandemic because you were still got a couple of songs out there right yeah it it was funny actually i owe a lot to the pandemic it was Mm -hmm. a it was a time when i i lost my dad um at the start of march Mm -hmm. 2020 um and like my whole world stopped when i lost dad um and then like three weeks later the actual world stopped so it was a weird time um probably probably like more of a blessing because my diary was so full and I had so much stuff going on. I'd had some, some earlier success in the year. Um, 
with with a single called Whiskey Drinking Woman, which ended up being playlisted on national radio and things oh, wow. things were really starting to, to hot up for me. I had some great festival bookings throughout 2020. And then my dad got really sick really fast. And I think to have continued on that trajectory with all that grief would have been really difficult. I don't know how I'd have done that. And it was almost like the pandemic offered me time to heal um, mm. at a time I needed it most. Um, but the one thing that kept me going was being able to continue to be creative. Mm. Um, I kind of threw all that time into writing music, producing music, uh, just making little videos. Even if they were just funny TikToks, I just I just kept creating, kept making, kept putting content out. Um, I ended up doing a live stream show on Facebook, which was just basically me singing some songs from my living room. We did that every Friday night for 18 mm. months. Um, and that was the birth of my fan my fan club. Uh, they were known as the Friday Night Crew. Uh, we met every Friday at my place, and you know we'd usually have sort of two, three hundred people just tuning in to hear me singing a few songs every Friday night. And it kept me going. It 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 was just at a time when I was grieving and lost. It gave me something to focus on, and I'm so eternally grateful for that time. Um, because without it, I don't think I'd be the artist that I am today. I grew so much in that time because I just had a chance to stop and look. Mm -hmm. And I had so much support and love from my online community. And what's so lovely is that coming out of the pandemic, that online community are now physically at my gigs. They're yeah. friends, they're people. Some people have traveled from all over Europe to come see my shows. And I greet them like old friends because I know their name. We've talked online and and those those friday night crew my, my fnc as i call them mm. i've just become my family and i love them and they turn up in their little t-shirts with my name on them and i it's that that pandemic for me was just everything i needed it to be at the right time mm -hmm. and i think that's why people say oh you know you didn't stop during the pandemic i'm like well actually everything stopped yeah. but the music didn't because it was the music that kept me going yeah. um so it's, it was a nice time in a very strange way yeah yeah um first off before we go any further i do want to send my condolences for the loss of your father i just recently lost my mother last year in very similar circumstances she got very sick very quickly and then uh she passed away from uh pancreatic cancer so i'm uh, so just yeah it's, it's, I, I just, when it, it kind of creeps up on you, it gives you no warning, and then it's yeah. like, bang, this is happening, and, and your whole world kind of turns upside down. So I, I get that. Yep. And so, like, in this was early 20... This was probably March, April 2021 when we found out, and, you know, just the pandemic was still very much in effect. I remember flying down to Florida and being like, oh, got to wear your mask, you know, and... Yeah. yeah. So... A little bit of a different circumstance. Your look, yours happened right before the pandemic, and then you kind of went into the pandemic and used that as a time to heal. I don't know what I would have done because when I'm in alone and with my thoughts, a different side of Tom comes out. You know, so yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad you were able to take that time to kind of heal and find, keep going with the music and come up with the friday night crew and the friday night streams and all that stuff and i think i 
just joined the Facebook group this morning. I think I got that alert. <laughs> yeah, it's still going strong. We've got over 2,000 members now. <laughs> They're crazy as ever, but I love them. I love them dearly. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, kind of going through the pandemic, you released a, a hand, uh, actually quite a few singles. I'm not going to say a handful of single, singles, <laughs> uh, quite a few singles, but it ultimately led up to the, the your most recent EP, The Mess I Made. Was yeah. the intent always to do singles and then just release a completely separate EP or was it going to be an out? Like what was kind of the thought process going through the back end of 2020 into 2021 leading up to the release of The Mess I Made? So I'd, I'd released a, a couple of singles. Um, what, uh, there was a couple of songs, so Whiskey Drinking Woman, which mm. went on to be playlisted. Mm. So the plan was to kind of do a few more singles and collate an EP. Mm-hmm. But when the pandemic hit, it kind of put a stall on everything because I was like, I won't be able to do a, a campaign. I won't be able to up and tour, tour the EP. So mm-hmm. I just kept doing singles. Um, we did, um, there was a song called Another You, a song called Wings. Um, and it just meant that there was constantly stuff coming up on Spotify. They were just all their own single campaigns, which we could just do digitally. Um, and then what I ended up doing was a, just a physical EP, which people could order um, mm-hmm. on my online store. And it was just a, a, a collection of those singles um but where the pandemic had kind of got given me time to write and really start formulating more of a you know sort of like new material i i said to my husband i was like i think i've got a new ep like i i think i've just i i'm not going to waste time putting out more singles i've got this material and i want to get it out and when we can all go out and tour again and and perform i want to have this new material ready to ready to roll so that's what we did um we we released it in june 2021 um which was really around the time, I think May 2021 was the first outdoor live event here in the UK. So it married up perfectly with being able to take that music on the road, which I hadn't been able to do with the previous singles. But it meant that I had a whole bunch of stuff to just like be like, here I am, here's my new my new music. And it was, it was brilliant. Like I bas- basically spent... 2021 and 2022 just getting this album out there and it's 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 been fantastic it's it's been great to do that Mm -hmm. and it looked like just the limited numbers that i could see just like going through your spotify it looks like the mess i made is doing really well and that's that's got to be just exciting in general um so the thing is like it always becomes about numbers and people will always look and like say, Oh, you know, how many streams has it had? I'm, I'm an independent artist. And like, mm-hmm. I think if, if, if one person listens to my song, I'm so buzzing with that. You know? But the response from the songs, like that I get at festivals and stuff is great. Um, but yeah, the, the, the numbers are, are doing okay. So I'm pleased with that. Yeah, for sure. And, um, so kind of going into the mess I made, you, it was like a collection of all the singles that you you had released or some of the singles, but it also had some new songs on there as well, right? Yeah, so it, it was the majority were, were new songs. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, the, the mess I made was just basically my my way of sort of saying, look guys, this is, I'm not a hundred percent sure what I'm doing right now. I'm not really sure I'm playing by the rules. I'm not fitting in any boxes, but this glorious mess is mine. And it's what I'm 
doing with myself. So the title track is basically saying, you know, this is the mess I've made and I'm going to live in it and I'm going to own it. And yeah. then that transpired to then becoming the title of, of the EP. And it's just a bunch of songs which just represents the, the beautiful mess that I am making. <laughs> you know, you, brought, you mentioned that uh, something about following the rules, but I've always been of the opinion that in independent music, the only people that are making rules are the the people in the like the higher ups in the industry that are, yeah, there there are no rules essentially. And, that, and that's I think that's a beautiful thing. Like it, you have complete creative control and freedom to do whatever you want, and that sometimes does go against the grain. Um, mm. And you know like you can look at two of my singles that came out back to back one was called i'm here which is a guitar ballad about mental health and then the next song was a great big dirty americana blues stomping rock song called whiskey drinking woman so you could say that those two songs don't don't belong on the same playlist they don't belong on the same set list from the same artist but i play them back to back why not <laughs> that's awesome oh that you know that works. I love it. That makes. Um, so for after the mess I made, where are you kind of at now creatively? Like you just released the uh, Cotton Eye Joe cover. You're getting ready. To, you're in the middle. Is it middle of festival season in the UK or is so it? We're coming towards the end now. Okay. Uh, festival season usually runs sort of May through to September okay. um, because it rains all the rest of the year. <laughs> But um, yeah, we, we've got our last festival next weekend, which is the Blackpool Country Music Festival. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of new music, I can't say too much, but it is definitely coming. Yes. Um, it's it's coming thick and fast, uh, hot off the press. There is going to be some some uh, some big stuff coming next year, um, and and the first kind of single is is imminent. Let's just say. <laughs> nice, awesome. Uh, let's talk about the Cotton Eye Joe cover here really quick before we jump into the uh, Country Music Festival coming up this weekend. I When I first saw it, I was like, oh, it's just, you know, it's an homage to a song that I listened to in the 90s and early 2000s as I was going through, like, going to, like, fourth, fifth, sixth grade dances, like that secondary school time frame. And then I went through and listened to it, and I was like, nope, this is a straight-up cover. Like, it's one of those songs that you don't actually listen to the lyrics from the original version because you're just waiting for that, the one part, the chorus to hit, so you could do yeah. the little dance and whatnot. Uh, and then when I started listening to the song, I was like, wait a minute, this might actually be what they're saying. Let me. So I had to, like, do a whole bunch of cross-checking to make sure that it was actually a cover yeah. song. But... Um, what, why did you, where did the this song kind of come out of? So I, I can't actually take a huge amount of credit for this song. It was a, a great artist over here in the UK called Tim Protty Jones. Um, mm -hmm. he, he used to be part of the Wandering Hearts. Mm -hmm. um, and he was doing a concept EP, which was basically reviving cheesy 90s country music and putting it out in a way that had never been heard before and he did a single called he did achy breaky heart with a, a girl called jessica lynn who's an american yeah. artist and um it was absolutely brilliant it was like we all know achy breaky heart but they just put yeah. a totally different spin on it and i thought it was fantastic um and then i basically got um a message from tim um, saying, you know, hey, we're working on this project. We're looking for like duets. Would you be interested? And I was like, okay, wow, loved the, the last one. What are you thinking? 
when he said Cotton Eye Joe, I was like, mm, really? Like, how how are you ever going to make that not Cotton Eye Joe? You know, it's it's the, it's the do si track at the end of the disco. Like, I don't know how, yeah. Yeah. how you're ever going to change this. And then he sent me the demo and that beautiful, like, melodic violin comes in and, and just the, the kind of the dark undertones of this this mm. guy called Cotton Eye Joe um, that brought disaster wherever he went. And he mm. played it to me and I was like, sold. I, yeah. I have to sing on this. So I, I really, it was just a vocal contribution from me. I went into the studio, put my vocals down and um, we worked together on the campaign. But all the hard work and, and the creative side was, was Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, and even now when people are like, oh, you, you covered Cotton Eye Joe, I just, just listen to it. Just yeah. listen. <laughs> it's it's, just it's certainly diff- not a cover that you would expect. But yeah, that, that's just the beauty of, of, of taking a track like that and transforming it. It was a lot of fun to work on. Yeah, for sure. It's, you know, when I went to and listened to it yesterday, I was like, hey, I did, obviously I mentioned, admitted I didn't recognize the song and just kind of taking out the repetitive nature of the original version of the song, you know, cause they just say the chorus over and over again with, uh, yeah. you know, but just kind of taking that repetitive nature out and adding in the violins and the, like just slowing it down <clears throat> just made the song so much different. I mean, I think like even with the lyrics, like it's such a repetitive chorus, yeah. but people actually knew the lyrics. And as soon as I read it, and I was like, if it hadn't been for Cotton Eye Joe, I'd have been married a long time ago. And suddenly there's this story, like, who's this man? Why didn't she get married? Like, and it's like immediately when you hear that lyric, but you don't, you don't hear those words when you just mm-hmm. hear the, the dance version, you know, you can't, all you, all you get is the Cotton Eye Joe. So the lyrics are kind of unveiling themselves of what lent itself yeah. to this haunting melody. And it was, it was, I'd say, just a, a, such a fun project to work on. Nice. Yeah. I, I, like it, it just seems like it. So that that's really cool that that's kind of out there and it, for an original artist to kind of partner on cover songs and not, it, it's not even really like you can't even like, it is a cover song in, in nature, but it's such a different song that it's like the, 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 art, the creative artistry kind of really took place when arranging the song and yeah, you, you say you didn't have much input, but like without you, the song would be completely different as well. So, oh, thank you. Well, I, I, when I um, spoke to Tim about doing it, he said, you know, that there was only one, there was only one female voice he wanted on the song, which was mine. So that's that's really mm. nice um, when you sort of like picked out of the bunch. So mm. yeah, it was it was a fun project for sure. Nice, awesome. So uh, upcoming shows this weekend, you got the uh, British Country Music Festival, which I, sadly I won't be there this year. I was really hoping to go and I had it all planned. And then I got a notice a couple weeks ago saying, hey, your your passport's delayed. And I'm like, sweet, sweet, Good. sweet. Yeah. Uh, and luckily I hadn't like fully bought my tickets yet as far as like air tra- travel and whatnot. Yeah. But you know, just one of those things, it just hurt. Like, I really wanted to go. So will this be your first time performing at the uh, British Country Music Festival or? No, I I actually played last year. Okay. Um, I 
played with the full band and I was kind of the um the act prior to the headline artist mm. so we, we had a really really good good slot last year nice. um and it was really lovely actually because the festival is has always kind of said we don't repeat artists we kind of don't tend to have the same artists back but mm-hmm. So much was the kind of response from last year and and the, the kind of traction in the country. They've invited me back this year. But we're going to do something a bit different. I'm going to do an acoustic set, um, which is, is really nice because there's, there's something really magic about just taking all the songs back to, to you know, how they, how they first started. So I'm doing a really lovely acoustic set on the Saturday afternoon. Um, and I'm looking forward to that because it means I can break the songs down, I can talk about them a bit, and I'm also going to be putting a few new ones in which people haven't heard yet. So a bit of an exclusive. Nice. That's and um, it this this festival's indoors, right? Like it's a little bit different than a like when you think of a music festival, you think outside, big grass field, but yeah. everything that I've seen, this festival's indoors, right? It is, and it's it sets it apart. Um, I've done a lot of the outside festivals this year and we've been blessed in the UK with a, with a really, really hot summer. And and as a, as a ginger-haired woman, it's, it's been intense, let me tell you. So I'm very much looking forward to the indoor. But it's a beautiful building. It's called the Winter Gardens Ballroom. Um, and it's, it's you know, most famously used for the ballroom dancing. So it's got a, re- it's got a spring-loaded dance floor. Nice. And it's the it's the most beautiful architecture um, and that you've got the main ballroom and then adjacent to that, you've got the horseshoe pavilion, which is another mm. beautiful room. But it just means that you can have all the kind of experience of a live music venue. But with mm. it being a festival, you've got different acts at different times. You can move around. You've also got um, outlet vendors and people selling like boots and shoes and you can get um, great food. And there's like loads of media outlets as well and radio and press. So it's mm. got all the feels of a festival, but you're in the warm, you're in the dry and there's somewhere comfortable to sit, which yeah, when you get sure. old like me is always a bonus. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's cool because weather's not an issue. Like, we, yeah, weather's never an issue at an indoor festival. It's always never. so. Um, no, it. The other thing that I was looking forward to is because when I talk to people that say they travel over to the UK, they go to like London, Liverpool, Manchester, and those kind of like the three big cities that people go to visit. At least from my perspective, and when I told them, I was like, oh yeah, or when I told a few of my uh, the musicians from the UK that I've had on the podcast and I kind of just keep in contact with and whatnot. I told them, Oh yeah, I think I'm going to like earlier on this summer. I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to Blackpool in September. They're like, wait, you're going to Blackpool. Like most Americans don't go there. And it's just like, that's the, that's the, I don't want to say weird stuff, but like, that's the offshoot stuff that I like to do because it's not going to be like a super touristy, busy place. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, mean, with, I always say, when I come to the States because mm. <clears throat> my husband and I love to come to the States. We've, we've been very fortunate. We've been quite a few times. We've mm. done all the kind of the big cities. We've done New York, we've done Chicago, Florida, Las Vegas, Nashville. But we have so much fun when we just drive. Um, and we, we did a tour of like Chicago, Kentucky, Nashville, Memphis. And it was mm. the in-between bits mm. 
mm-hmm. where we like stopped and got some food or stayed and got a motel and then found a bar that had some great music on and I always feel like that's the real America mm-hmm. because you go to New York and you see what New York wants you to see. But, you know, yeah. it's like you go to Nashville, you see what Nashville wants you to see, but you drive like 40 minutes out of Nashville and you, you'll end up in some little town with some dive yeah. bar and there's some amazing players. And one of them lives next door to Dolly Parton and one of them wrote with Willie Nelson. And yeah. I just think you've got to get out of the cities and it's exactly the same. People come to England and they go to London. Mm. Well, I can tell you, London is not England. (laughs) London is what we want you to think it is. It's not. You need to go to Yorkshire. You need to go to Manchester. You need to go, you know, like you said, Blackpool, Scarborough, Newcastle. We've got some beautiful coastal towns. Blackpool is a coastal town. You know, you got to get That's where I was was excited about Blackpool because of the fact that it was a coastal town and that I could get, like, I see, like, I don't know, is seafood a big thing in Blackpool or is it? (laughs) That's all you need: fish and chips by the yep. sea, and an ice cream for afters. <laughs> yes, because you know I was watching a video not too long ago about um, just like it was a it was a kind of an odd video where they were breaking down the different um, accents in the UK, like like the different types of English. I guess is the way they speak. And yeah, I, I was just sitting there. I was just like what would the American version of that be? Because like, for me, it's just like, oh, we all have different dialects. And then I started realizing that all the cities are different in the UK. Cause like, like you'd brought up to be London, that's the UK. And then everything yeah. else is just kind of. And that's the thing. It's like, you think of like what a massive place America is mm-hmm. and how different from someone that lives in California would yeah. talk to one that lives in Alabama how different they would sound from someone from New York. Now, we have, like, huge American culture in this country. Like, we all grew up watching Friends or watching CSI. So I can tell if someone's from New York. I can tell if they're from Brooklyn. I can tell if they're from Cali. I can tell if they're from Georgia. Yeah. But I feel like the other way round, we all just sound British. Yeah. And actually, like, the Liverpool accent, the Newcastle accent, the London, the Cockney, the Scouse, the Irish, the Scottish, like, they're so different. And it's always funny because, like, whenever we go to the States, people are like, oh, you're from London? I'm like, yeah. no, can you not tell? <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Oh, man. Oh, boy. You need more British TV programs in America, clearly. <laughs> yeah, we do. We really <laughs> So, um, but I don't want to keep you too much longer here. Um, as far as the uh, festival goes i hope you have a great set this weekend and you know it, it festivals are always fun just in general like every festival i've ever been to i've never not had a good time at a festival it's just you know what it's like being an artist you don't get much chance to socialize with other artists because everyone's mm. always working um and festivals are just the best time to catch up with friends other mm-hmm. people that are on the bill other people that are doing networking and media stuff you know they're there you hang out backstage and you get to see a bunch of people you've 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 never seen play before they are they're great fun you'll you'll be truly missed tom i will have a whiskey for you sweet <laughs> i love whiskey i'm I'm so, so sad right now. I, yeah. Uh, look, there's always next year. There, are, there's yeah. always, and I would encourage, yeah, you know, your listeners, like, if if you want, if you want good music and good times, check out some of the UK festivals. It's we yeah. we have some 
incredible, incredible festivals over here. You have some really big festivals too. Not to go off on a side tangent, but I was there was a festival that I was looking at last year. I don't remember what it was. I think it might have been one of the bigger festivals in UK. It was like a one of the big country music festivals. And some of the names I saw on the bill, I was like, wait, what's going on here? Like it Yeah. yeah. I mean see B2C is probably the biggest we have, you know, this year. We had like Luke Combs, yep. uh, just the, the Long Road Festival, which was just this weekend. We had mm. Marty Stewart. Um, we had Brandy Clark. Yeah. We had um, Low Cash. And it's just like, you know, these massive American artists are coming over to England to play because we love them. Mm. We, we, you know, we, we love our American music. And like I said, we growing up like as a, as a, as a British kid, it's a lot of American culture. So... The, the music's just a big part of that but it's also great to celebrate all things british and it's a really solid uk lineup at the blackpool country music festival so it's going to be great to see what's coming out of the uk at the minute yeah for sure it's it's really exciting in the country music scene for the uk because over the last two years or three years honestly um just kind of seen the evo kind of an evolution of the uk country music scene even though we've talked about kind of not conforming to genres but still like just as the uk kind of finds their their regional sound in the country music space it's been really interesting to kind of watch and transform it's a great scene and you know country in itself is is a spectrum you have you know everything from kind of your acoustic right up to your rockier stuff Mm. so you know as, as much as i love to be floating all over the place country will always have a huge part of my heart and as long as i can i'll always be bringing out country music so it's great (laughs) awesome awesome well if anybody wants to check out um your music or keep up with you on social or get any of your show updates or any of that fun stuff where's the best place to get all your information where can people find you just gotta head for keziagill.com um it's it's everything you need is under there and i've got um my upcoming gigs and tour dates you can buy merch you've got all my music links and yeah there's there's not many kezias and there's only one kezia girl so check it out (laughs) awesome awesome well once again thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me it's been an absolute blast i'd love to have you back on once the uh the secret upcoming release not secret upcoming release but the (laughs) upcoming uh project <laughs> yeah, when you can talk about it. Um I'd love to have you back on. Uh other than that, thank you everybody for hanging out. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Kezia, thank you for your time. We really appreciate you. And we will see you all Thursday night. Bye. All right. All right. Cool.